Good afternoon, everyone. It is the Welcome to the Jungle podcast, season two, episode five. I hope everybody is doing well. It is Sunday, April 25th. Ladies and gentlemen, we got about three good full days until the big to-do, the debate is over between Chase and Panay Sewell up in the land, as we affectionately call it, up there in Cleveland. Look, I'm originally from Northeast Ohio, raised in Maryland, but, you know, Ohio is Ohio, and I'm glad to see the NFL back. I'm ready for the draft. Everybody's ready for the draft. I think by now, everyone is sick of the talk, the NFL mock drafts. We just want to get down to business. I have people texting me saying, man, it seems like the draft would never get here, but now it's, it's finally the week of the draft. And we're going to get ready to go ahead and just dive right into it. So, folks, let's go ahead and just start with the pros and former players of the Bengals. Bengals coaches and players who pretty much reiterate my sentiments, okay? So, for example, T.J. Hushmanzada was on The Herd recently, and he basically said, even though I'm a wide receiver... It all starts up front in the trenches. And you've already got Joe Burrow hurt before. You have to re-solidify the trenches. And then I'll go another step further. Carson Palmer was on the Rich Eisen show. And he said the primary objective when he was there was he had elite offensive linemen blocking in front of him. He had Willie Anderson's Rich Brams that he mentioned Guys that, you know, he said Willie Anderson anywhere else but Cincinnati, and he he would be like Jonathan Ogden in Baltimore, the way he should be talked about uh, and praised. And he's definitely a, a, a Hall of Famer in everyone's eyes, and his books is just uh, Willie Anderson played in a smaller market in Cincinnati. Okay? And then Kyle Kasky, who I mentioned, uh, James Rapine, down in Cincinnati, he reiterated the same thing. It all starts about protection up front and protecting your quarterback. And when you look at it from former players, you look at it from coaches, this is what wins in the AFC North, ladies and gentlemen. You want to know when the Bengals really fell behind? It's when they didn't re-solidify the offensive line when they missed the past seven years on offensive linemen in the first round, in the second and third. And it's a lot of Bengals fans that sit here and try to tell me with with one of the smallest scouting departments in the NFL that we're just going to go ahead and take Jamar Chase and we'll just find wide, excuse me, we'll just find offensive linemen later on in the draft. Well, I kind of feel like that hasn't worked out well. So if Panay Sewell is the surefire tackle, can't miss, and he's the number one graded tackle in this draft, a generational tackle at that, after only two years at Oregon, with this organization, and their scouting department and how Duke Tobin has missed on offensive linemen. Look, I know what wins in the AFC North. You have to take Panay Sewell. 
Look at how Cleveland has improved their defensive front. Now, not only you can't double team Miles Garrett because now they solidified the other at the edge and they brought in Jadavian Clowney. Look at the Ravens historically. You know, even if they lost a little bit, which they have in the draft, Matthew Judon's guys like that uh, due to free agency, they're going to come right back, the general manager, Eric DaCosta, because they build their teams the right way, inside out, offensive line and defensive line. They're going to re-solidify that defensive line, uh, edge rushers, because, you know, the Ravens, they play that hybrid with Don Wink Martindale, that 3-4 defense. So to me, that just says they're going to have another vaunted defense. If you cared to remember to watch that game in Baltimore, Joe Burrow had no time. It don't matter what wide receiver you had. If you have no time, you can't complete any passes. And that's what happened in Baltimore. And it was just frustrating. It was just like a guy who basically, as soon as the ball was handed off to him, he's got defenders breathing down his neck all over him, being pressured, trying to escape pressure. So that's that. And then we know the Steelers. I mean, sometimes you got to look around at the division that you play in, and it's trench warfare. And I got sick and tired of T.J. Watt getting up from sacking Burrow and doing them dances, and you know how extra Pittsburgh is. It just, it, it, it Cam Hayward and those guys, it disgusts me. Even with the loss of Bud Dupree, don't think that the Steelers are going to sit on their, on their P's and Q's and don't think they won't address in the draft. They just, teams like the Ravens and Steelers find pass rushers. That's what they do. They believe in building their teams inside and out. And now Cleveland has taken that mantra. And that is why the Bengals are sitting in fourth place right now. Because they're not dominant up front. And this draft is the key to re-solidifying the Bengals and getting them to where they need to be. So it, to me, it almost, it may be boring. It's not sexy to the casual fan, but the offensive line and defensive line, it's almost like you just go back to back in, in hitting it. And let's just say, for example, for you Jamar Chase fans, if they make that, and I will, I will reiterate it, I'll say it's a mistake to pass on Sewell, but say the Bengals and Duke Tobin, they do some Bengal things, and they take a Jamar Chase, well then, okay, then you need to double back right in the next round, the round two, uh, you need to take a tackle like uh, Alex Leatherwood or a Liam Eichenberg, because uh, I can remember Ohio State recruiting him, and it, it came down to a war between Urban Meyer and, and uh, Brian Kelly out there at Notre Dame, where Liam Eichenberg, he ended up going to Notre Dame, and he's a, I believe, a Cincinnati guy or Cincinnati area guy, five-star offensive tackle. So when you watch the college game, you kind of see these guys as they progress, as they mature into the pro prospects. Okay, so that's another name, Lion Meichenberg. Uh, there's the, the tackle out of Texas that I mentioned, uh, Cosmel, I believe. He's another one. But if you take a wide receiver, which I almost feel it, well, I don't feel I know, is malpractice in first round. You better address the offensive line and, and getting the, I'm not going to say elite, but that next tier of offensive linemen in the second round. All right. So now, like I said, and I'll reiterate, it is, and I'm excited. I'm tired of talking about mock drafts or anything else like that.
But now it's time to talk about the last mock draft before the actual draft this Thursday, April 29th in Cleveland, Ohio. So here's my mock draft, ladies and gentlemen. Go ahead and take a breath, take it all in, and let's get started. All right. So mock draft round one is Panay Sewell out of Oregon. He's been the number one overall rated tackle by offensive tackle by Pro Football Focus. Any any website you want to pretty much look at, he's been the guy. Some, I think NFL Network has thrown Rashawn Slater out there, but to me, if you need a tackle, then you draft a tackle. I don't want a a, a guy who he has short arms, he can play a little bit of tackle, but he's really a natural guard. And that's what you kind of get with Rashawn Slater out of Northwestern. Even though it was admirable, he had a great game shutting down Chase Young. And as I'll reiterate, you know, I'm a big Buckeyes fan. But I want to take the surefire, sure thing. Ladies and gentlemen, think of all the players that the Bengals have drafted and came through Cincinnati. We have one Hall of Fame player. And what was he? A left tackle. Anthony Munoz. And... Anthony Munoz, uh, I don't know if you saw on the websites, uh, he actually said, when I look at Panay Sewell, I see a lot of me in him. So that ought to tell you all you need to know. And then for all my guys who say, you got to get Joe Burrow weapons, you got to get Joe Burrow weapons. They need weapons. He's got to have it. Okay, we're going to have an LSU reunion. We already have uh, Randy Moss, the son Thaddeus Moss, the tight end. In round two, I'm coming right back with Terrace Marshall, round two. All right? And I I'm, I'm still feel like this line, it needs all the help it can get to be revamped. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, I don't know if you remember a couple years back, about probably about two years, the year this uh, 49ers went to the Super Bowl, that was our home opener in Cincinnati. And I saw the disparity... I went to the game at Paul Brown Stadium and saw the disparity between our offensive line play and defensive line play where you didn't really know Raheem Mozart or or any of those guys, those running backs for the 49ers, but you really didn't have to because those guys had gaping holes to run through with their offensive line and their defensive line. I mean, they just had Armstead. They had the Boses. I mean, they just have a rotation of guys who were having Andy Dalton run for his life. And that's what I want the Bengals to mirror. That's what's going to win consecutively, annually, every year, and keep them competitive year after year in the AFC North. If you don't have offensive line or defensive line play at an elite level, you will be on the bottom of this division. And that is why we are here now, where we're at. That is the reason why Joe Burrow is coming off a catastrophic knee injury. Okay, and moving right along to round three, like I said, and I'm harping on it, I'm I'm pounding the table. I'm coming right back. Hopefully he's there. And like I said, this is a mock draft. Round three, I'm coming back with center Landon Dickerson, Alabama. I want size. He's 6'6", 326 pounds, and he's a road grader. Okay, and then moving right along, I'm coming right back again. And round four, Joe Tyron, Washington. Okay, and he is an edge guy, defensive end, because 
I look at the Bengals, and they like the basketball type of defensive end. Uh, the Carlos Dunlap, they like tall guys. You think about Michael Johnson, he was an athletic freak playing defensive end. They love the tall basketball type defensive ends in a 4-3, which makes sense because you're coming along on the edge where if the quarterback is trying to throw the ball on the outside, you have a guy who is disrupting the passing lanes because he's so, so tall, 6'4", 6'5". As soon as he put, puts his hands up, he's about seven foot like Sam Hubbard and those guys. And he just helps solidify a pass rush that really needs to be revamped and had struggled and had issues within the AFC North and the NFL in general in generating pass rush. Okay, and let's move along to round five. You see, I'm right back in the trenches. You see, I'm harping on it because I know this is what is going to fix the Bengals. If you watch the national championship game, he was out because of the COVID protocol and man, it made a difference. If you watch the tape and, and, and I'm talking Buckeyes again, if you watch the Clemson game, Tommy Tugiai and how he disrupted in the interior and got to Trevor Lawrence and made his day a long living hell. And then when Togiai wasn't there and he wasn't able to play because of COVID uh, against Alabama, it made all the difference in the world. So Tommy Togiai, round five, Ohio State. And then, ladies and gentlemen, we lost a fan favorite uh, in Giovanni Bernard. He sent his uh, farewell, a nice heartfelt message. And you've got to replace that skill set. You need to find another back. Uh, and, and it's a lot of folks I talk to, Bengals fans, who are not high on Joe Mixon, but I'm a, I'm a huge fan because I feel he can do it all. But we do need a, a skilled guy at running back who can you can split him out and can catch out the backfield. Ladies and gents, Kenneth Gainwell, Memphis running back, great route runner, uh, somebody who Zach Taylor and Brian Callahan can use in this offense as a nice chess piece, move him around as a running back receiver tandem, okay? And to finish up, I'm going to pound it again. I hope he's there. I like those Georgia offensive linemen because it's something about Kirby Smart, head coach Kirby Smart. He finds huge offensive linemen. I mean, but you can see he's a Nick Saban disciple, and I just like those Georgia offensive linemen. I'm going Ben Cleveland. Georgia, six foot six, 340 pounds. So this is episode five, season two, and we'll be back with a quick, quick roundup of some of the key offensive linemen that are still available in free agency that I definitely believe wholeheartedly to get this thing right, to keep Joe Burrow protected, especially coming off this knee injury because I don't know how much mobility he has lost I want him to feel comfortable, and I don't want him to feel gun-shy to actually be able to step up in the pocket without traffic and, and, and having a clean pocket without defensive tackles, uh, you know, making him to where he wants to throw high because he cannot step into his throws. So, ladies and gentlemen, this is Season 2, Episode 5, Part 1, and I will be back with a quick Part 2 on the NFL free agent offensive lineman available because this team has to continue to address the offensive line and I'll reiterate it just like Carson Palmer did to make this team effective. I'll be right back.
And we are back. Season 2, Episode 5, Part 2. The Welcome to the Jungle Podcast. Yours truly, Garrett Staples. We're getting ready to cover the NFL offensive line. Free agents still available to help solidify this offensive line that needs a total overhaul for the Bengals. And as I talk to you about this, uh, Sunday, April 25th, I'm looking at these Reds right now. They're down there, uh, I believe, in Bush Stadium, down there in St. Louis, getting their clocks cleaned four to nothing. It's uh, in the sixth, and it, it just frustrates me. I tell you what, uh, when it comes to Cincinnati sports, and when you think the Reds, and that's, this is just getting off track a little bit, but when you talk to Reds, I hate to see them. It doesn't matter what sport it is. It doesn't matter if it's Marvels. I hate to see uh, Cincinnati lose to Pittsburgh and anything to the Pirates, to the Steelers, and I despise the Cardinals because why they're a division rival. But that's a whole nother subject, a whole nother note, and just being I'm a Cavs fan, I hate Chicago and the Bulls. But moving right along, let's get back to the Bengals. So we're talking NFL offensive linemen, free agents that are still available. and right now with the, the whole pandemic and COVID and not having fans in the stands all 2020 uh, last year, it has affected the salary cap. So you see a lot of these big names that are still free agents, still available for teams to sign. And, you know, even the ones that did sign deals, most of them signed a one-year deal just kind of as we get fans back in the stands this year and the budget goes up and the salary cap goes in goes up then they'll want to see you know basically using this year's season as a a prove it year to prove you know their play and then sign a long-term deal once the salary cap kind of goes back up next season for example right with the Bengals they signed Riley Reef. So it's a lot of value still here, uh, offensive line, free agents-wise. So here's a name. I, it just, I'm like, man, Jonah Williams, the offensive line. With Williams, he's had durability issues since he came out of Alabama, still has not played a full season yet. So I say, hey, man, continue to bolster the offensive line in a, a one-year deal. Why not? Russell Okun. He's been an all-pro. I I think he'll be a Hall of Fame. Uh, He may not be first ballot, but he'll definitely make it to the Hall of Fame. Russell Okung, who started his career in Seattle, and he's a free agent from the Panthers. Eric Fisher of the Chiefs. Kick the tires on this guy. He's a tackle. Uh, See what he has left. You know, I believe he was coming off an injury as well. But see if he has anything left. If he passes the medical... Bring him on in to Paul Brown. You know, I, I think just being durability-wise, you see our offensive linemen. You see Trey Hopkins, the center, coming off of ACL. Um, you see Jonah Williams. He hasn't played a full season. So why not sign a guy like Russell Okung or Eric Fisher at tackle? Kick Jonah Williams into the guard position right now and, and, and just really have a solid offensive line uh, I mean, just think about it. A Panesul, maybe at left guard, you start him uh, there one year, um, and then you maybe you keep Jonah Williams at left tackle. Then you come back 
and you have a Russell Okung maybe at, at guard or, or you, you may move Riley Reef inside, okay? And then I look at a Trey Turner. You know, if you if you don't if you getting if I'm getting a little tackle heavy for you, then I bring in a Trey Turner from the Chargers. He's still out there on the market. Or a DJ Fluker. Guys who can road grade at the guard position get downhill because in the AFC North, that's what it's about, is trench warfare. Mano mano y mano, what is your manhood like? Either you're going to move me or I'm going to move you and push you around. That's what this, this division comes down to at the end of the day is black and blue. This isn't a finesse. This ain't like the AFC South or, or, or those kinds of divisions. This is what it comes down to. Or even a DJ Fluker. You know, these are some names I'm throwing out there. But I would I would go ahead, re-solidify, and sign one more free agent for the offensive line. And then you go ahead and do your due diligence in the draft. And that fixes the Bengals' offensive line. And Joe Burrow can sleep at night. He can come in to work the next day and know, hey, I'm going to have more than two seconds <laughs> to go ahead. And he's already a great processor. I'm going to have more to than two seconds before pressure gets to me where I can survey and look at my first read my second progression, my third progression, my fourth, and, and be able to, to come back to that versus what we saw in this division last year with the Bengals where the Steelers, they manhandled the Bengals up front. The Ravens, it was the same way. They, you could tell they were, they were in a different class of, of offensive line versus defensive linemen. It, it was just a travesty. And when you watch the Browns, when the Bengals played the Browns, if it if Joe Burrow wasn't a mobile quarterback, which that's his escapability and his pocket presence is, is pretty darn good to be this this young in his career, those games wouldn't even have been close. And I just wonder and I worry. Please do not rush the franchise back. If he's not ready week one, do not rush it. Let him rest. Let him continue to, to rehab until he is totally ready. But if you're going to do that and you know, we don't know what Joe Burrow is going to look like week one. We don't know if he's going to have a Carson Palmer knee brace on, if that's going to affect his mobility to where now you really need protection up front because – he can't escape the pass rush like he was doing last year. So I say this to say this draft, we're three days away. Solidify the offensive line. Take care of your franchise quarterback. And let's not just win one year, but keep bolstering your offensive and defensive line because that wins. And that's what will keep us competitive in the playoff, perennial playoff team and a Super Bowl caliber team year after year because we have the quarterback now it's just time to protect him ladies and gentlemen this is season two episode five part two of the welcome to the jungle podcast i'm looking forward to the draft it's up there in the land up there in cleveland let's hope for the best and let's just hope that bengals brass duke tobin mike brown uh katie blackburn and troy blackburn zach taylor and his staff just make the right decisions Get this team over the hump. Bengals fans, Cincinnati, we're ready to win. Let's do it. Who day? <laughs>